You could stay here forever, if you want to. Really? Sure, we'll sing and play games, and Mother will cook your favorite meals. There's one tiny little thing we need to do. What's that? <laughs> well, it's a surprise. For you, our little doll. Black is traditional. But if you'd prefer pink, or vermilion, or chartreuse. Though you might make me jealous. No way! You're not sewing buttons in my eyes! Oh, but we need a yes if you want to stay here. So sharp you won't feel a thing. Ow! There now. It's your decision, darling. We only want what's best for you. I'm going to bed. Right now. Bed? Before dinner? I'm really, really tired, yeah. I just need to sleep on things. Well, of course you do, darling. I'll be happy to tuck you in. Oh, no thanks. Uh, you, you've done so much already. You're welcome. <gasps> and I... We aren't worried at all, darling. Soon you'll see things our way. Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. And, Mike, the thing is, these modern movies have a breakneck pacing, I think, that that's difficult for, for audiences to come back from, right? And especially animation. In animation especially, uh, every single frame has to be filled with a bunch of Easter eggs, they got to cram as much crap into every shot for uh, the 40-year-old nerd who's watching Wreck-It Ralph 2 so he can compare the user interface <laughs> to make sure it's going to be just like Grand Theft Auto V or something. Is there a Wreck-It Ralph 2? Or are you just using that as a... There is. Okay, I, I missed that. <laughs> there is. I watched it theatrically. I didn't like it as much as one. <laughs> but ultimately, who gives a shit, right? And what happens is you're training the kids and the modern audiences to not appreciate what I believe to be like better filmmaking and I think a, a more meaningful filmmaking. And that's why when a film like Coraline, we're talking 2009's uh, adaptation of Neil Gaiman's novella, Coraline. So when a film like Coraline comes out, I feel like it, it got great reviews. But for the most part, it kind of came and went and found its little niche audience. Uh, it found its little cult. Um, and I think it'll live on through that. But for the most part, didn't make a whole lot of money. Uh, people didn't dig the stop motion animation, I suppose. I don't know. I was there in, in the theaters day one watching the 3D showing and had a ball. What about you? Uh, I also was there. Pro I don't know if it was opening weekend, but probably opening week. Um, and I have 
a Blu-ray 3D copy of <laughs> Corlon, which I have to admit, um, I did not watch for this podcast. Uh, one, because the <laughs> the 3D television that we do have here is now the smallest uh, <laughs> screen as far as TV set up. And even then, it's probably not as nice as like you know my wife's uh, current iPad. But um, I did debate. You know, that's you and I have talked before about, uh, especially with Christopher Nolan. Like, am I seeing you know Oppenheimer the way it's meant to be seen, or does Christopher Nolan think that my life choices are shit? Yes, probably he, <laughs> he does. <laughs> and so, but I I wanted to approach Coraline because I think I've only seen this once maybe twice like on home video like within the same year of its release 2009 but it's not one i've gone back to and since it's been a while it's been a minute since uh i broke out the 3d television i think i did a podcast on hugo and scorsese he got that respect of going to my small 3d television but henry selick here uh not so much uh because it was streaming on max and i'm like well i'll just stream it to the bigger tv but i also want to not uh, knock on that 3D door again and be like, this is so cool. Because some of that, I, I wonder, like, was I too hyped for Coraline? Because back in 2009, it was one of the rare quality <laughs> 3D experiences you yeah. could have. And I have to say that that um, while it may have had a, a short-term effect, uh, since I just watched it on Mac streaming for this podcast and loved this movie, fell in love with it again. The 3D doesn't matter as much. You know, apologies to the, the filmmakers that presumably put a lot of work into it. Uh, but now I think I will uh, go back and double dip on the 3D viewing, not for the podcast. So I can't speak to those technical merits, which I'm sure there are so many home uh, theater enthusiasts that were waiting for our word on the 3D <laughs> market when it comes to the home viewing experience. Um, but yeah, that is my uh, prop uh, comedy, I guess, for the show is I wanted to uh, point out to you on Zoom that, yes, I have a Blu-ray 3D copy, uh, which I, you know, it's probably one of like 10 3D movies I own and one of the best. It absolutely is. Uh, it, it doesn't rely on the kind of lowest common denominator jokes. A lot of these, and I'm specifically going to call out stuff like the Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, okay, it made a billion dollars, but that movie's garbage. And it's like, oh, look. I'm just, you know, I, I, I can't comment. You were just the the expert uh, panel, like the, the only voice on the panel for modern animation. Because I was like, Wreck-It Ralph 2? Are you, are you just telling a joke? Did they make a sequel <laughs> to Wreck-It Ralph? And I have not seen Super Mario Brothers. Uh, I think it did just arrive on Peacock, which is the respect I'll, I'll give that movie as I may watch it on that streaming service but otherwise i i cannot refute any of your points now uh what's funny is uh my wife uh she's a teacher for the after school program uh here in our county and for summer camp uh they do like a field trip every week so i guess uh uh, the week before the last week they're like boy we are tired we're taking these kids to the movie theater and they decided to go <laughs> see of course super mario brothers because it's something that's like you know rated g and everyone can uh I'll watch it and i was telling her i was like oh the movie's terrible she's like whatever i'm getting paid to watch it and i thought about it and i was like <laughs> i don't know i don't know if i'd wait well paid to watch it and also keep 
the you know the heathens at bay let them like feed these animals <laughs> with you know shiny colors entertainment uh i have a side question since this is going yeah. into um our our barbie trilogy where we're for the first time working backwards from the modern film and uh you know going into the the old relics um can you see a field trip to see barbie like if that had come out during like you know what is considered typical school season could you have seen that, or is that a bit a uh, bit too much? I'm assuming it'd be more like at least middle school to like high school age students for that that type of material. I think for any time like actual people's kids are concerned, uh, I think the MPA plays a big role. And so when parents who probably aren't paying as much attention as you and I, like I was very specific. My my child's first movie that she ever saw was My Neighbor Totoro, and I'm very proud of that fact. And so I get real upset when my wife is like, oh, I'm just going to put something on for it. I'm like, what? What are you going to put on for her? I, I, need, to, I need to know. <laughs> the, the ultimate in curation and the, the web home. <laughs> yeah. And so if, if a film is rated PG-13 for whatever, the average parent is like, no, you can't see it. When I was, uh, when I was in elementary school, uh, the thought of – again, we had like a movie day where the teacher's like, we're going to vote on a movie and that's what we're going to do. And uh, everybody wanted to watch Jumanji. Jumanji had just come out on VHS and everybody was stoked to see it. One kid. And because it was rated PG, it was something that everyone had to agree on. And one lone person in my third grade class was like, I think I might be a little scared. And we couldn't watch Jumanji. Everybody was pissed. So – yeah, I would love, I would love to uh, have a field trip for uh, with Barbie for for a bunch of kids. But yeah, uh, if it's uh, going to be even lightly, even even just a little bit controversial, it's a no go. Mine was uh, Adam's Family Values. That's what got vetoed, and I would have. I think I was in fifth grade, maybe when that came out, and you know the Adam's Family film was successful. And I think they, it was a teacher. It wasn't a kid that's like, no, Adam's family values, which would become very important to me because it developed this uh, early attraction to Joan Cusack, who was the femme fatale in that, that movie. <laughs> Maybe that's what they were afraid of, was that too much of an infatuation with Joan Cusack was going to happen in a small town in Kentucky, which would be you know worthy of research. Uh, but I'm pretty sure it was a teacher that said, this movie's too political because – Little Wednesday Adams has a big speech about you know the white people uh, taking this this country and like the the blood on their hands and I don't know I think that would have been good a good teaching moment there for little fifth graders for Adams Family Values but anyway Coraline uh, I would have loved the idea of you know I guess spring or late winter whenever this released in two thousand nine uh, for field trips for for this movie because as you said the thing that sort of spoke to me is how restrained it is um as far as the the, the pace uh it's certainly not something that you see in typical uh american films aimed at uh, kids or families no not at all it it builds its tension really really well that final i don't want to call it an act i think the final like 10 minutes is so exciting Coraline decides to go in back for her parents and she creates the game of finding the eyes of the i mean even that that alone it's so macabre right uh finding the eyes for the of the children um to obtain their souls back it's really wonderful and dark stuff 
And it's just something you don't see in kids' movies anymore. This is a great gateway to horror, by the way. Um, and, and I thought, I thought that my 3D, you know, in the theater uh, opening day showing was going to be the be- the best viewing ever, but it wasn't. It was actually this this viewing that we just had because I got to watch it with my four year old, my four, well, okay, four and a half year old. That's very important at that age. Not at our age, where we just stop <laughs> counting for the most part. <laughs> right. <laughs> we just take away a couple years, in fact. <laughs> Am I too old to be watching Wreck-It Ralph 2? No. Fuck it. I stopped counting. <laughs> she was completely entranced because she's not used to watching the Wreck-It Ralphs of the world. Uh, she watches a lot of anime, uh, of the Studio Ghibli stuff, where it, it's very methodical and takes its time, and she was right into it. And, oh boy, we were in bed like with the covers, and the Bell Dam is slowly transforming into her kind of final monstrous form. And especially that last sequence where the spider web is created... And and all, all, her, the entire house kind of falls away. My kid is going, ah, ah, ah. And she's got the covers up close to her face, but she's still peeking. I was like, this is perfect. Oh, my. And then I asked her, I was like, what did you think? Did you like the bell dam? And she's like, she was so scary. I was like, yeah, she was, wasn't she? But it wasn't like a, oh, she was scary. It was like a cool, she was like, scary. This is fun. I'm, in, I'm yeah. enjoying being scared by this. Let me ask you then, uh, what did the target audience... Uh, although, in, in fairness, if you have, you know, Neil Gaiman source material, and you have the the guy that essentially directed uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas, though he doesn't have the name <laughs> above the title, um, <laughs> right. kind of annoyed about that, by the way. Yeah, that's that's always been uh, kind of a grievance, I think. Um, so clearly, those two uh, creators are going to appeal to the the adults in the room. But what did the target demographic, your child here, think of? the other mother when things are good but also decidedly creepy the buttons for eyes and a little bit too much catering rolling out the red carpet to a child's every whim uh was was she sort of like put off or scared you know during the good times with other mother or she was was that showing you web that hey you're replaceable (laughs) you don't get your your act together absolutely replaceable she had no problems hanging out with the other mother (laughs) when there was candy and a big old chicken and and uh they were having a a grand old time with the different uh the 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 show with the giant breasted ladies like you know that was that was all fantastic my my kid enjoyed all that as did i (laughs) (laughs) it was the physical transformation and it happens very subtly, you know, the extension of the neck and the arms. And so there is, there's a craft here, my, you know, with the, and I love stop motion in general. Uh, and, and anytime like uh, the, the studio behind, like they're losing money with every film. Who's financing these movies? So it's, it's just funny to me. Like no one's showing up. In fact, the follow up to Coraline, I believe was Paranorman, which I think is even better. I like Paranormal. I think it's my favorite of uh, their uh, the, the crop of films. I believe I, I own a, a 3D copy of, of that as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't bring my prop, so you know I assume it's behind me. But um, but that's okay. I think my only real issue that I have with it... Well, actually, have you read the novella by Gaiman? No. 
No, I'm not familiar with this one. Which is, I, I mean, no, I, I was about to say it's you know relatively recent as far as the timing from its release to the movie was pretty quick. It wasn't like something that he wrote in the early 90s or anything that was sitting around. I believe this was the early 2000s, right? 2002 yeah, or something? And it won awards. It was very well liked. I read it actually this year as part of my little book club uh, with a good friend of mine at work. And we read it and it was fine. But because I had already seen the movie, the movie... Henry Selick actually read the novella and was like, I can't make this into a feature film. I can maybe put a 40-minute short together. So the film really does expand on the stuff from the novella. And the movie is so much better to the point where I was I, I think you can just skip the novella completely. The one thing I will say that I think is, uh, is, is an issue with the novella and with the movie is Coraline's kind of realization like it's it's not as impactful she doesn't have the kind of arc that i'm hoping for as soon as she's like wait a minute i have to have buttons sewn over my eyes nah, 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 this nah. isn't for I'm, me i'm about to be a teenage girl here now you're not doing it nope I've, I've got plans you know i'm not that's not aesthetically pleasing i i agree with you there this is something that is so good i felt like i was looking for because on letterboxd i give it uh, spoiler alert, you know, if you uh, don't want to know what I rate this on Letterboxd until after you listen to Trilogy Theory, as you should, uh, four and a half out of five. And I'm like, is that me being nitpicky? Or it's like, you know, because I feel like, and this film is going on, it will be 15 years, uh, the anniversary, I think, in February. But I still think of it as like, this is too new for me to consider the perfect <laughs> film. <laughs> But for me, the only slight problem I had was you mentioned the game. I kind of get lost, and I I felt like so maybe I'm uh, maybe it's unjust of me to blame Neil Gaiman, but I felt like it was I'm not much of a fantasy guy, and so when you start getting into that to like wrap up this show, I don't really care why there's an other mother that sort of lives in in the walls. But yeah, going to find the souls, I like the spectacle, but I have to admit that I sort of am just like not listening i'm just like yeah yeah just whatever you gotta do I'll, I'll roll with it you don't have to explain it too much and i think that was that was really my only ding with the movie it's like i enjoy the sort of quiet sort of just this ominous tension more than i do when they're like well here's what you have to do to you know resolve this plot um that was it i mean that's that's really my only like sort of uh mark against this film but i don't know it's like i feel like I could easily just make this a five. If I go and rewatch it on 3D, I may just be changing my rating. I think it's 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 telling that me, the parent, is like she didn't appreciate her other real parents <laughs> enough. <laughs> like she didn't have that moment, uh, but that's okay. Um, yeah, uh, oftentimes with films like this, and again, I, I feel like this is a common thread. I think with a lot of stuff that I watch, especially, it's like, I don't need all the details. Not everything needs to make sense. You don't have to have established rules and give me a backstory with every character. And every... It's okay. Create the tension. Create the mood. And, and do something impressive on screen. And that that's enough for me i'm not gonna be one of those guys who's gonna tip, uh, you know rip up the cinema sins i'm not gonna be the cinema sins guy you God, know? do they still exist or no i do hope not <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I i'd like to think they moved on to something better and that i mean i i feel the same but i'm also thinking like well i'm not watching it so it's the same as wreck it ralph 2 what do i really care if it exists it's not touching <laughs> right. me but yeah there is something in me it's like yeah i guess i just want that culture 
to go away. If you want to have a discussion yeah. as far as like, hey, this doesn't really push my buttons, so be it. But some of that stuff, it's it's so fucking obnoxious. So obnoxious. I agree. I agree. And there is just this overwhelming feeling of just like love that's put into every frame and and maybe it is because it's stop motion maybe it is because like because you know these people are sitting there posing each frame like there is a level of work involved that is is really impressive and and you know what that that helps me appreciate the film a little more uh do you remember this is gonna be this is so off topic, but I feel like it makes sense. Do you remember Red State of the Union? It is a podcast that Kevin Smith put together, like leading up to the release of Red State. So I think there was like 14, 15 episodes, and each one is him in his like podcast theater that he owned at the time, the Smodcast Theater, I think it was called. And so he would have like the AD on, he would have uh, uh, actors on, and every week you learned more and more about the film and what went into making it and Boy, how much work they put. You can always count on Kevin Smith to just go over his own work in excruciating detail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, by the time I watched it, I felt so, I felt like I was part of the production. And so the movie isn't great, but because I knew so much going in and also I got to watch it with him because uh, uh, he brought it, you know, on tour and did the Q&A afterwards. But because I was so involved with the film, it was a great experience, and that's kind of how I feel with Coraline because I know how much work must have gone into this. Uh, and you kind of see that at the end. It was the end credits for Kubo and the Two Strings. They kind of show the animators working. It's like, man, this is good stuff. Uh, it's a great gateway for kids to get into more adult things. Uh, a lot, I mean, again, the, she is rescuing the souls of these dead kids. You know, the uh, black grandmother at the end, like her twin sister, what she says stolen. But I mean, that's there are deeper themes here than uh, the average uh, uh, kids film. So uh, I think it's it's wonderful. I think Coraline is a character isn't great, but she is a, a I love plucky. Coraline. Well, uh, again, she should appreciate her parents more. I, but she <laughs> is plucky and adventurous and curious. And I like that. But do, do you not like that? You know this this adventure uh, solely takes place uh, through her own experience. It's not like her parents know nothing about it and then get wrapped up in it, and she saves them. And they're like, "We're gonna we're gonna buy you whatever you want because you saved our souls from the you know our, our weird twins with uh, buttons for eyes." <laughs> in fact, they come in. They're like, "What the hell are you doing?" Like, you know what? <laughs> and also, yeah. I love that she's pining for Michigan. <laughs> She's pining for her friends back in Michigan. It's not like she moved from, you know, the beach somewhere, and now they're in this constant rain. In fact, I I like that she adores the rain. She just wants to get. Out. She just wants something to happen. It's like it's a very old fashioned in that it's a girl approaching adolescence who just can't wait for her her life to begin and has this grand adventure just just in her her room. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Coraline and I, I like that she thinks that Wiley who does actually end up helping her still thinks he's, he's a fucking dork and yeah, he's a dork, but you know what? He does have a right to speak. I don't really like what he has to say. He gets on my nerves, but I do not want his mouth sewn shut. I find that unseemly. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, she's, she's open to things that could possibly suck. And it seems like she wants her parents. She wants to drag them along to, to life. Uh, the biggest sin I have against, and I, I say this only as a, a podcasting enthusiast and uh, hobbyist, 
is that her uh, father is not uh, saving his documents on his crappy word <laughs> processor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was the thing where I'm like, you know, you deserve this, buddy. What what, what are you doing? Why is it everything backed up into the cloud, buddy? <laughs> <Yeah>. Like auto. <laughs> Uh, also, I have to give a shout out to I. I want to say she was my first on-screen crush, uh, which was Lois Lane, Terry Terry oh. Hatcher. When I watched the uh... about to jump in with Joan Cusack, but that's me and Adam's family <laughs> values again. <laughs> oh. uh, 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 Terry Hatcher, she was she's the OG Lois Lane for me. I know, I know, Margot um, Kidder was the first one for a lot of other people, but for me, it was Terry Hatcher on the small screen and the less same same for me. Yeah, the, the less said about Dean Cain also, yes, the better. also same. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> but, I didn't like that guy then. I, I quite liked <laughs> Terry Hatcher, but I did not – I couldn't put my finger on it. But Dean Cain is like, hmm, no, yeah. no good. And I've followed her career ever since from, from you know, they're real and they're spectacular to uh, her unfortunately dying but getting in, uh, give, giving an awesome little – a uh, back nude shot in in Tomorrow Never Dies, and of course the entirety of uh, Desperate Housewives, which is a wonderful show. Um, she is wonderful here. A little weird throwing this into a Coraline episode, so Editor Webb, do with this as you must. But I feel like it kind of fits for our audience. Terry Hatcher does have uh, a nude scene in a little film called Heaven's Prisoner, starring Alec Baldwin from 1996, and it is. <laughs> Definitely a guilty pleasure, not just for those reasons, but because it is Alec Baldwin playing this drunken buffoon like P.I. And I believe Eric Roberts is the heavy. So take that as like the <laughs> ultimate mid-90s. <laughs> Terry Hatcher is this femme fatale. I think you may dig it. You may like it. Oh, I know what I'm doing right after uh, right after we finish recording. And then my child is not invited. <laughs> An odd double feature with Coraline, certainly. 1996 is Heaven's Prisoners. 